here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. Hello, folks. It is Sean Zock. This is another episode of the Drop Zone in which we break down the year in golf. And we are doing it with another recent author. His name is Kyle Porter. You know him from Golf Twitter. You also know him from CBSSports.com or from reading his work as the publisher, the author behind Normal Sport. Kyle is going to run us through why he did this book again, what goes into this book, who he got involved with it, as well as break down, I think, basically the last six months of the golf season, go very deep on the open at St. Andrews, his thoughts on Rory, his existential crisis thoughts on Liv, all of that right here today on the Drop Zone, but... First, it's Radmore time. Radmoregolf.com. You've been hearing, you've been watching me and Dylan uh, read and talk and wear Radmore gear all year, all year long. Uh, I know he just put in another order for me. I put another order in for all the gear that basically I want to wear in the spring. They come out with new stuff every season, uh, like not just like every golf season, like I mean every single season. They'll have new spring stuff, summer stuff, fall stuff. I think even some like sneaky winter themed colors when it comes to their golf gear i think that's special you know most golf apparel companies just drop everything on you here's everything we got for 2023 radmore golf is not like that they give you stuff every couple months so go to radmoregolf.com and see stuff that you did not see six months ago or even three months ago and use the code drop zone that's d-r-o-p-z-o-n-e you'll get 25 percent off everything in the store there's even some drop zone stuff on there just kind of lingering about. It's holiday season. Go get some for you or the missus or the mister or mom and dad. So check it out at radmoregolf.com. Without further ado, it is Mr. Kyle Porter, Mr. Dylan DeChair, Mr. Sean Zock waxing on everything. Two-time author for Normal Sport. It's Normal Sport 2. He's been doing a bunch of podcasts. Kyle, how is this podcast going to be different than all the others you've been doing in the last couple of weeks? Wow, that's a that's a uh, that's a difficult question right out of the box. I think that well, it's the first one I think I've done where there's been like a like three of us. I've done one on one. I've done like a, a five or six some, but uh, the the three what this is the first three man weave that I've done. So I, I think that's the uh, I, and I think you know like look, I, it, it one of the things that's been fun over the years is to get more comfortable with the people that you're doing these podcasts with or talking to. And I think that's been true of a lot of us, but, um, you know, especially with you guys, as we've gotten to know each other better over the years, it, it, I think it makes for just a, a more laid back conversation, which I think is what people are kind of looking for when they, when they jump into podcasts like this. It is going to be nice running the triangle offense here with America's podcast. <laughs> yeah, Kyle, yes. how's your, how's your ball handling solid? How's your jumper? So I was sort of a, um, I was kind of a Doug Gottlieb in intramurals to where I, that sounds intense. Well, I, yeah, minus the like two small shoes and backward shorts and everything, but I, I was a good passer and I would just feed, like, I presume that you've got a pretty good, like 14 foot bank shot jumper. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan's more of a corner shooter. So you got to play a role in there. Bruce Bowen uh, over there. <laughs> I can see that. Uh, 
So I would just try to, I would try to like just slip passes in like you've seen in the world cup, but like on the intramural court. And uh, yeah. that was kind of my forte. So I can handle the ball, but I'm not, I'm not like a score. Hey, everyone has to play their role. What's the, what, what's the, give me the five guys in. I was going to say, can bacon ball? Like, do we kind of have like the decent start to a golf media, you know, hoops team right here? That's what I was going to say. What's the starting five? You know who I bet uh, would be in there that could just bang around. Maybe has like a nasty uh, hook shot. Bamberger. <laughs> well, for sure. But uh, Justin Ray, I bet, it, I bet is Ooh. like tough to deal with. Yeah, I could see him running a nice pick and roll. <laughs> I I would um I think we can count him but Golf Digest photo editor Ben Walton uh, Kyle I don't know if you've ever met Ben but he's yeah a good I have I have yeah Ben's got game uh he's big but he he grew up in Dallas and he he earned the nickname Gentle Ben which is not only for Ben Crenshaw but also Ben Walton because he doesn't like playing in the post he just always <laughs> gets out to the three point line um. I think you have to include Big Randy if we include him among golf media. Uh, yeah, like yeah, college that's basketball. true. Um, I know Solly played hoops. Um, I think I would be on. I think I'd be on the team. And yeah, Dylan, I just want to know if you're cracking the starting five or if you're like the sixth man with energy. I'm getting a little bit nervous actually. The the deeper <laughs> you go there, about my spot in the lineup. I'm not just like a very poor man, Sean Zock on the court probably. So. Yeah, that might not that might not get it done. Yeah, I'm oh, trying to this do reminds it, me. Yeah, you know who wouldn't start on our five is uh, LKD. <laughs> You're damn right. I've Luke, seen Luke, him shoot, and so it is bad. not good. Noted poor basketballer Luke Cardenine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what? He'll tell you he caught one pass from Bryson at Chris Como's house, and he banked it in uh, from from deep, and that's the only basketball shot he ever thinks about, which is honestly sufficient um remember when remember when chris como's living room was like the most filmed uh golf course in the country yeah i went there it was it was actually super fun but it, it that is like distinctly a i don't know what month we we went january of 21 that's like a very distinct six months in time like post bryson's us open win and then like pre bryson flubbing himself at the masters and losing a ball in the rough like that's when Chris Como's house peaked. And I think mm. I don't even know if he spends much time there anymore. I feel like um, that is actually the lesson that what you just mentioned there, Sean, these moments in time and these snapshots, that is in many ways, the lesson of, well, this podcast to a lesser extent, but also Kyle's work on normal sport the last two years, Kyle, for the uninitiated, how would you describe what you've been doing and why you've been doing it? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think what I've been doing is taking a silly Twitter bit that is like a tongue in cheek look at golf where the normal sport is obviously very sarcastic when you've got, you know, a, a group of grown men walking or like jogging to a, uh, like a sprinkler head and repainting it because, <laughs> because like repainting the out of bounds line. And you're like, yes. And that happened at the match play this year. Uh, because like some blades of grass laid the wrong way on the sprinkler head and, uh, and Thomas Peters didn't get a drop from it. So it's looking at situations like that, that I, I kind of think of it like my wife doesn't really follow golf and I think of it. Okay. If she sort of stumbled into 
the this situation or if she if she like came to the room and this was on the tv what would what would she say about it and there's some moments that you're like i think about the Ryder cup in 20 uh 2021 when brooks and sergio are just staring at this plastic drain for like five minutes and they had they're bringing people in from i think they boated some people in like from from lake michigan to rule <laughs> on that like what that ball was supposed to do and you're like this is it gets normalized for us because we follow it every day uh but it's very abnormal and very strange and i mean the reason i'm doing it is because i like books and i like writing books and i like reading books and i think that this is just kind of a Trojan horse to write a book uh, and and talk about a bunch of unserious, like really unserious stuff, but also some serious stuff like Scotty Scheffler crying at the Masters or, you know, the Open Championship and what played out there and 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 different things like that. So that that's kind of the what and why of of uh, of normal sport. Yeah, I think that's a good explanation of it, especially the last part you just said, because I think on Twitter in the normal sport discourse it is sarcasm it is can you believe this you just saw like what what sport is even being played here and you started the book though with with a chapter on tiger and it was a lot more serious than i think the discourse that plays out on twitter typically is with normal sport and i was actually surprised about that only because i was really I was struck by the point. You kind of pleaded for a little more transparency from Tiger about what, you know, his car accident and everything that he ran into in, in 2021. And that transparency to Tiger would feel like a gigantic weakness. But to you and to a lot of fans and humans all over the world, it would just humanize the guy that we still struggle to humanize. And so I was just struck by the fact that like, hey, this is going to be a very sarcastic, funny book at times, but we're going to start it off in a serious way. And we're actually going to be able to, to delve into some complex topics, which felt like it was important this year. Yeah, I think it I think it was and I think it is. And I think sometimes, you know, for especially for the three of us, it's like, oh, I got to write a column tonight. And I I don't know, man, like it, it's like the it's like the thing where, you know, LeBron scores on a breakaway dunk and you're like well what does that mean for his career and it's like well probably nothing like it yeah. it doesn't mean anything yeah. it's just two points and and yet we have to we have to in the moment frame and contextualize everything which is obviously impossible and kind of dumb at times uh yeah, that's an extreme really example of, of talking about lebron but even the idea that we have to write that you that anybody has to write a column after the first round of a major you're like I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and I, and I get it. Like there needs to be content, but for me, it's a, it's a slower pace of like, okay, I can actually think about some of these serious things. There's a lot of not serious things in the book, like Charlie Hoffman, you know, tagging the Saudi Arabian government in a, in a post about how he didn't get a drop at the Phoenix open, which is just the most absurd thing. Oh but gosh. there's a lot, there's a lot more room to kind of sit down and think like, okay, what did this Tiger Charlie thing actually mean? And, you know, for us throughout the year, we just don't get that time to kind of be thoughtful like that and to to provide some some real context around some of the more serious things that happen in golf. Sean, where do you want to start our journey through the second six months of the uh, PGA Tour season, right before the U.S. Open? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess the days before the U.S. Open. So we we left off with Bacon, on the night of Rory 
declaring civil war, dunking on Greg Norman. And <laughs> like, that was the oh shit moment for me. Well, really like the oh shit moment was seeing Phil plug his ears um, while there were trumpets playing on the third tee at Centurion. But, but then like a, <laughs> a couple of days later, the oh shit was like, oh, Rory, you're going to dunk on this guy and you're going to continue to. Um, so Brookline was an event you guys were at. I was in Scotland uh, watching from afar and cringing at the press conferences uh, between Brooks and the media and Morikawa. Did it feel surreal looking back what that week was like? Did it feel like that was the pivotal week in the golf year or was there a different week? It felt like that, and I don't know if Dylan agrees with this, but in in going back and doing the book, it felt like that was the most contentious week of the year. And that was actually a little bit validated recently. Uh, the Rory interview with Paul Kimmage at the end. Funny, of I was note, just pulling that up. Yeah. Where he talked about how Sergio texted him and like basically their relationship. I don't know if this is how he said it, but it basically ended. And Rory said, I fired back a couple of daggers and that was it. Basically, Sergio was saying, hey, you need to shut up about live. And that that was the week where it just it felt the most contentious. And I thought there was some irony in in the fact that somebody that I think is maybe the meekest guy in golf. And I don't mean that in a negative <laughs> way, but uh, Matt Fitzpatrick is just a, he's a meek guy. He's not like a chest thumper or anything like that. And and for him to win, I thought was just kind of an ironic ending to what I thought was the most like not litigious, but just like the week where it felt like everybody was the most fired up. People were annoyed with with each other. That's for damn sure. Like between Sergio and Rory is one thing, but all the live guys had just gone through the live launch week and they were definitely battered by the media. They had their talking points um, and had to, to live with the discomforts of their decisions. And then they have to do it again a week later uh, in a different country with different media members. Um, what was ironic to me is that it was the non-live players getting so annoyed. It was Brooks saying that there's a black cloud over the event and he's just trying to win a major, uh, committing to live obviously a number of days later. Morikawa, I know, was was getting very annoyed by it. It was just so funny that these PGA Tour players were kind of feeling protective of of their tournaments. <laughs> it's like they never felt like protective of the USGA ever before. And suddenly it's like, like what's going on? Well, you had a good take on that. I put this take of yours in the book. Uh, you had a great, you had a couple of great US Open takes. The one about Stu Hagestead making the cut and uh, financial analysts everywhere rejoicing <laughs> and laying out their quarter zips on Friday night was just, just this so uh, like kind of a deep cut, but if you're paying attention, it was hilarious. So you said uh, this was on, this was early in the week. He said, one of my favorite differences between live and PGA tour supporters is their eloquence. Mm -hmm. Rom, Rory, JT are all able to go along with deep explanations while Mickelson, Poulter and Westwood are all guarded and quick to shut down ideas and deflect. And that, that really was the week where, I mean, you, I think if you were watching and following along, you could have drawn like we could have all drawn like, okay, here's one side, here's the other. But that was yeah. sort of the week where everybody was like, this is my side. I'm with these guys and you're with those guys. And that, that whole thing. And probably that was because live had just started. Like they had just come off the London deal. Uh, and so it, was, it just became that much more obvious, uh, but that it was it, honestly, I don't, I don't know how Dylan feels, but it was hard to enjoy the golf that week because it was so overshadowed by everything else. 
I had a visceral negative reaction to standing in Phil Mickelson's press conference because he just felt like a man so kind of reduced and like, yeah, and not like not happy at all. No, there was no real happiness. He was trying to kind of be measured, extremely measured. He was talking very slowly and intentionally. And it just was like, I don't know, man. I mean, I know that Phil has always kind of had his image as this, you know, genuine guy. And that's true to an extent. It's not true in other ways. But I think that we talked, we just talked about this with Bacon some, but I think that that was one of the things missing from these early live moments was like any sense of like, oh, actually celebrating this is a cool thing. And it just made me sad. It was like, why, why are you doing this if this is the result? He felt lobotomized. Yeah. It just seemed like a different person. And like, yeah. Yeah, not genuine, and it, which is like it just feeds it, it. It it is a reminder of everything that he was doing. He was hiring, you know, a new representation like manager to kind of follow him around. He was hiring a new uh, media PR publicist, and Liv was forcing media uh, talking points like down his throat and everyone's throat. And it's like it was impossible for this thing to start in a genuine way. I don't want, and I don't want that to sound like, oh, I don't think that anyone on Live is happy, um, because I think that some of the people that are on Live are happy, um, but yeah, especially just in that moment, it felt like you know this was a guy that that was so beloved on the PGA Tour, uh, and that really seemed to enjoy a lot of the parts of being in that world and playing those tournaments, and now everything has just gotten so much more complex for him. Um, you know, personally, professionally, like in a whole bunch of different ways, he has now complicated everything about his life to try to launch this new league. And in that moment, it felt like he was uncomfortable with uh, speaking his mind or uncomfortable with, with being himself in that moment. And uh, I didn't like that. Yeah. And honestly, I thought him and Brooks were both kind of and Brooks more so later on, but just kind of ashamed of what they had done. That, that's what it seemed like. KVV had the best Brooks take. He said something like, uh, he was like, Brooks was so unconvincing in his US Open presser when he was saying that he wasn't going to go to live. He, he said he said that Jenna was more convincing in Sharknado 4 than than he was at his press conference <laughs> or whatever, whatever movie she was in. I think it was two. Sharknado, Sharknado 2. two. What a, yeah, there probably haven't be been four of them. But uh yeah, that whole thing was just uh I don't know. It it was it was strange, but I will say, and I talked about this a little bit. I think I wrote about it in the book. It made all of that made the actual winning of the major feel more important because the 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 majors became the like, okay, well, we can't figure all this other stuff out. We know what the majors mean, and that's not gonna change. And so like because we can't figure this other stuff out, those actually mean more than they otherwise would. Yeah. Like what event are you desperate to see right now? It's the masters. Like I can't freaking wait. And of course we always think that way about the masters, but the fact that there's going to be whatever 
three live events pre-masters or two live events pre-masters and 10 PGA Tour events that we're going to probably have a lot of fun with. It's all just going to come to a head that week. And like, will Augusta National roll out Phil Mickelson for a huge press conference like they typically do before uh, their event? I don't know this year. Like, it's, it'll be just totally weird. But you they know. can't do that, can they? <laughs> I don't know, man. They did it last year because he won the PGA, and they would have a lot of reason not to. But um, Cam Smith will get one. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that that's been like the essential question of this year in some ways is like, okay, what is professional golf? You know, in, in the world of men's professional golf, like what constitutes an important tournament? And it's like, okay, does it have to have 72 holes? Does it have to have a cut? Uh, does it have to be sanctioned in a certain way? Like, does it have to have points available? And it's hard to answer because, you know, if you have, if you say, oh yeah, well, 72 holes, full field, cut, etc., then people are like, well, what about the Tour Championship? You know, what about the playoff events? What about the Hero World Challenge? Oh. What about any event that Tiger Woods ever plays in that doesn't meet those characteristics? Which, you know, for a while, any event that Tiger has played in, we have just, that's what's important, you know? Oh yeah, those are the important tournaments. Torrey Pines, that's that's important. But now it's like, it's hard to apply that same standard and arrive at a clean answer, I guess. And Liv has, under, has, has emphasized that. Yeah, I think two things on that. The first is, this is a little bit of a normal sport thing. Like, imagine there being a, like, we would never be having this debate in another sport because there wouldn't be a three-quarter football game or there wouldn't be yeah. a football game with only 17 guys in it or, or whatever. Like, yeah. it's, it's a really unique thing, I think, uh, to golf and... I can't remember the second point I was going to make, but, that, well, but it, I, I think, but it could be right. Like what if a league was like, yeah, we're playing three quarters and then you're like, well, hold on my man, whoever kind of a end of game guy. This is a, this is kind of a different competition. All of a sudden, my man, whoever, my man, whoever <laughs> Tony Romo underrated John, in four John quarters. Paxson? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, okay. So I think the thing I was going to say is what the the long view on this, I feel like nobody was really, at least fans were not really latching onto of like, Hey, listen, in the short term, this might bring more attention to golf. It might, uh, there's more New York times articles and New Yorker articles than yep. about it than ever before. But what you're not seeing is that when you have you know what Dylan is talking about of like, okay, I don't even know what professional like regular season professional golf is anymore. That's a real problem when it comes to the long term because your sponsorship is going to say, well, if people are not latching onto this and they don't even know what it is, then we're not going to, we're not going to fund, we're not going to put any money up for this, you know? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden everything starts to come backward from, from where it was and you're left with, two leagues, three leagues, whatever. I don't know what it'll be that are less than they could have been if they were, everybody says they don't want a monopoly in, in, in golf or, or they like to like use that line. It's like, yo, you, you actually, you don't want three NFLs. Do you? Yeah. You yeah. Do of course want, you, you, want you, you want a monopoly. monopoly. Yeah. And, and I just find that to be very disingenuous. Yeah. And I think it's that the same, by the same token, I guess 
people are that are like, oh man, whatever, you're so pro PGA Tour. I mean, definitely people have leveled that at you, Kyle. But it's like, yeah, of course the people that are covering the sport that think that all this stuff matters are going to be inclined to uh, still saying that that stuff matters. That like the PGA Tour was an important thing and and that all of you know golf history for the last several decades, there's going to be an inherent inclination to say, yeah, no, we think this stuff is important and just throwing it by the wayside is, uh, I don't know, something that gives you pause, I would say. Well, and that's the thing is like people, people said to probably all of us, I know they said it to me, if you, oh, you're just riding for the PGA tour. You're, you might be getting Venmo, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, payments from, <laughs> from Jay Monahan, which I'm like, yeah, walk me through that. Like, let me know how that works. <laughs> Actually, how do I sign up for that? Uh, and, and, and it's not a, it's, it, you're given a, a binary option. So you're either right. You're either sidling up with Patrick Reed, Brooks, Capia, Bryson, DJ, Phil, or JT, Spieth, Rory, Tiger, Mark, our ROM. It's not a difficult decision. And the decision is not a pro PGA tour decision. It's a anti fractured golf decision because yeah. in a regular season that's fractured, my job becomes a lot less meaningful and important because not as many people are paying attention because they don't know what to pay attention to. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, Zach Lowe would not, he would ride for the NBA if the Venezuelan government came along and said, we're going to start a new league and James Harden's going to be the face of it. Cause James Harden would definitely be the face yes, of it. Uh, sure. <laughs> is, but that doesn't mean he, it, it's because he loves the NBA. It's because y- you don't want to enter into a world in which your job is considered less meaningful. And I, mm-hmm. people just, either they don't care. Or they just willfully ignore that. Yeah, probably both. I mean, I personally have like struggled to cover the women's game this year more than any other yeah. year of the past because like literally during the women's British Open on I think it was Wednesday, hey, there's a new lawsuit happening in the Northern California district. <laughs> uh and I was just immediately distracted for like the, the next couple days, but um the month of June was weird guys in terms of the golf year but then like fading like into july we had xander win (laughs) uh three very different events xander wins the travelers he wins the jp mcmanus mcmanus pro-am and then he wins (laughs) should have got world ranking points (laughs) yeah honestly by the hero world world challenge uh i don't know standard uh and then he wins the scottish open which is actually pretty baller i think because everyone was actually looking at him then as hey are you as good as we think you are. And then he said, yeah, I am. And he won. Um, but then there was two live events. There was Portland Dylan, which you went to, there was the Bedminster one, which is the first moment where it started to feel extremely political. Uh, I think it was simmeringly political. And then wham, it was Trump and Tucker Carlson and Marjorie Taylor green, uh, cheering on golfers, <laughs> which is bizarre. Uh, how much of that got into the book, Kyle? Like the, the political nature of, of these, this civil war, did that make it at all? Uh, we, we cut some stuff out. Uh, Porath, uh, <laughs> was a great, he was great with his editing and said, I just don't want you guys to get canceled, uh, which I sure. appreciated. Sure. I, we tried to, you can't not, I mean, you have to address it. You can't stay away from it. Uh, we, 
I think tried to walk this line of like uh, Joel Beal wrote about this in the book. Um, you know, like no matter who you support, is it good for a for a sport or for a league to be a vehicle for basically a political rally? That seems like a bad idea. Like whether you are slippery slope there, right, left, center, whatever you are, like that's just not a great. Like the mixture of government and sport and culture is is I don't know that that leads to anything good and so that was sort of the overt takeaway there were some undertones probably in there from me uh just in the way that i wrote about things but you know i i think i wrote in there like i'm not going to get into a 9-11 debate with anybody because like that's not fruitful right but more so taking a thirty thousand foot view of hey what if what if uh what if like the thing that I wanted people to think about, what if Jamal Khashoggi happens again, right? Because you've got this distance between, and a lot of this was coming up in the Portland time. I know Dylan was there and, you know, Pat Perez asked about Jamal Khashoggi and it's like, well, what, what, what is that answer going to, who, who yeah. like, who cares about that answer? But my point was like, what if that happens again? Then all of a sudden you don't have this buffer between your, decision and this thing that happened four or five years ago, you have to address the fact that your checks are being signed by somebody that's in this inner circle that is maybe doing some nefarious things, seemingly doing some nefarious things. And that's a, that's a political risk that a lot of those guys probably don't care about, but maybe should care about as they kind of enter into to the future of that league. Yeah. The, New Jersey stuff was really interesting, the Bedminster stuff, because if you are trying to rally support for a startup, you know, you want people, you want endorsements, basically. And Trump is, if not the most famous person in the world, he's, I mean, he's right up there. Um, and, and so it's sort of like when you are looking for this support, I think that maybe the first instinct is like, hell yeah, he's, you know, who's got a bigger base than that guy. But then at the same time, you know, if you're trying to quote unquote grow the game, if you're trying to appeal to an audience that is uh, a lot younger and looking for something different and kind of moving to the next phase of golf as a sport, those, those are, there might not be a big, middle of that Venn diagram um, between the people that are going to be excited that Trump is your spokesman. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's like in times of uncertainty, you, you turn to someone you might not fully understand. And um, that's definitely a big part of the live story, but I think a confusing one to really parse out. It's pretty telling when uh, they throw the essentially a, a Trump rally in uh, July at Bedminster and then they go to Trump's event for the finale and are really happy that he plays the pro-am, but then live staffers are like really, really relieved that he was not going to make an appearance on the weekend. I think uh, they're, they're certainly interested in straddling a line. Uh, and like you said, that's probably in their best interest. Yeah. And I think it a little bit begs the question of what are they trying to do? You know, and that was, I think, a question that we all tried to answer throughout the year. And I think it evolved. <laughs> 
I don't know if it was because the league evolved, but I think a lot of our opinions evolved. I started out thinking, oh, this is just, this is sports washing. Like this is blatant. And by the end of the year, I was less sure of that uh, from a, like a very live specific standpoint. I, 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 to be honest, like, I'm not totally sure what they are trying to do because this, you know, this New York times article comes out and uh, McKenzie, the consulting firm, basically told Liv, like, your best case scenario is recreating the PGA Tour from a financial standpoint. That's not like a great financial outcome for something like the public investment fund. I mean, it's, it's tiny, it's really small. So I don't know if it's a little bit of an ego. I mean, I'm sure it is an ego play on some level of like, oh, we want to be involved with people like Phil Mickelson, like that. That's something our money can buy that it hasn't bought elsewhere. We want some to accumulate some political capital in ways that are really strange, but also kind of effective. You know, I I, I don't I, I would be curious to know from either Yasser or maybe even MBS himself, like what what's the what's the play with Liv? Because it it doesn't there's a bunch of different answers you could have. I'm curious about what the a- actual like top two or three are. Mm, yeah. One more note on the uh on just on the political side of things before we move on, I thought one of the best lines from that New Yorker article about Live versus the PGA Tour was kind of underscoring like, look, this isn't this is not a left versus right debate. This is this is like if Liv is um, if Liv is Trump, then the PGA Tour is uh, Mitch McConnell, which I thought was really funny and pretty spot on. And I thought of that again last week at the match when they interviewed Ron DeSantis at the match and DeSantis has been like, you know, he's been at the players championship. I feel like he's made an appearance the last few years. Uh, it's really, it's not a right versus left thing, but it's, you know, there are these pretty clear divisions that are happening and, uh, maybe those are each appropriate figureheads from a political signaling standpoint. Never forget Ron DeSantis laughing so loud while Patrick Reed addressed his T-shirt at the Masters that Patrick had to step off and look back for only for the entire crowd to look back and say, oh, that guy that we are worried about is Ron DeSantis with a drink I didn't. I missed that. I think that was, yeah, I think so. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was 21. Was it 20? Um, oh, all right. It was, it was Hideki um, because there were so few people there, like, you know, laughter from one person could stood out. And uh, I'll never forget t- Kyle's take about how, you know, basically like 8,000 people is like the perfect masters. I was it. about to bring that up. <laughs> I, I was not going to throw myself under the bus like that, but I was going to say somebody purportedly uh, noted that there was the right amount of people at the masters in 2021. So I, you know, who can say who it was, but it's, it's a take that's out there. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's move forward with Kyle's, uh, you know, if if live is a, an annoying topic, Kyle, you probably have a lot more fun, interesting things to say about the open at St. Andrews. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> Dylan might need to step away while we just grieve for a little while here. They don't all have to be about Rory, but he obviously becomes the the center of, of the story. Um, but was that your first time in St. Andrews? It was. Yeah, I had never been to St. Andrews nor to an open. And Sheesh. I had been basically just begging to go for the for the 18 months leading up to it. And I, you know, 
I thought leading into that week, it, it felt like, and I think Tiger actually said this during his pre-tournament presser, it felt like a, it felt like the biggest open ever, you know, and, and obviously you were there and you got to kind of see everything unfold. We were more just like part of the unfolding, but it did feel based on the 150th, the St. Andrews, all the live PGA tour stuff. It felt Mm -hmm. extraordinarily consequential. And as it turned out, you got to live versus PGA tour, like maybe the face of both in some ways, uh, kind of battling down the stretch, which was, an extraordinary outcome given, you know, how many different guys were playing well. And, uh, it was a, it was, I mean, for me, it was the trip of a lifetime. It was, it was a, a place and a, and a town and a, and a, you know, trip with a bunch of friends that exceeded even the highest expectations I had for it, which was, uh, which was pretty cool. Well, what did you think of town? Where did you stay? And, and how did you spend your evenings when you weren't at the golf course? Yeah, I, stayed at this at the dorms which is uh probably a 10 to 15 minute walk from the golf course everything's a 10 to 15 minute walk in St Andrews and you know i it, it it's very cliche to say you can just walk around town and see everybody that's somebody in golf but it's it's also true you know you see yeah. <laughs> you see uh players when you're walking to the or walking out of the media center back to your dorm or going to, you see people out to eat, you see just, I mean, everybody's there and it's, it's, it's very cool because even the other majors that we go to are not like that. You know, you go to Augusta and everybody's kind of spread out and you, you see people, but you don't like see them, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. bump into them anywhere. Uh, So I, you know, it was hard to really get the full experience like you probably did because there's so much golf you're trying to cover and you're trying to be at the course late and get there early. Uh, but it was really fun. I thought at night to, um, just walk around and eat at different places. And, you know, the thing that became clear as the, as the week wore on is how many people that were there, uh, that were fans that, that like everybody was rooting for Rory, right. That was just like the theme that sort of unfolded and it became, so big that it was almost too on the nose. Like it couldn't happen, yeah. even though it felt like it was going to. So I don't know the the whole trip, the other thing that stood out, which again, you experienced is how many really amazing golf courses are within driving distance or cab yeah. distance to St. Andrews. And we got to, you know, experience and play some of those. And it was just, it was an incredible trip that I, that I was really grateful that I got to go on. If this week was a, metaphor for kind of the old way of golf versus the new way of golf. If this was a showdown, um, there were definitely some cracks in the armor. I would say the old course stood up in sort of a strange way. I mean, the first round, some guys were taking six and a half hours to play because it was (laughs) this weird combination of guys were driving the green on uh, yeah. now I'm forgetting how many par fours it was, maybe four par fours out there, depending on the wind direction. Uh, and so guys were just waiting for the green to clear like 360 yards away. And then they would hit it down there and get into all kinds of trouble because that's what happens at the old course and on links golf courses. So that was a little bit weird. Um, Rory would have been the choice for the old guard. Cameron Smith would become the face of you know, the modern lived defectors that showdown on Sunday was 
really telling and I guess means even more in hindsight than it did at the time. At the time we we thought we knew, but with Liv it's it's kind of hard to take anything for granted until they've actually made those announcements. Um what do you think of that week as as metaphor for PGA Tour versus Liv? Yeah, it I don't know that it felt that much like it in the moment certainly i mean part of the reason i wrote the book is because in retrospect you do see it differently you see a lot of things differently not just not just that week i think in the moment it felt like rory's legacy against everybody else right and i think what's hard if you're a a rory fan or if you're me and sean or all three of us is you know there's a bunch of cam smiths throughout the years Rory's been a top 15 player. And this is what people, there's a lot of like live boys that just ride for Cam Smith that don't even really understand what they're talking about. But uh, Rory's been a top 10, 12, 15 player for 13 years now. And that's to me is more impressive than being like a Jason day where you're the number one player in the world for two years or 18 months or whatever. There's been different iterations of Jason Day. One of them was this summer, Cam Smith. And yeah. and so it's it's weird that those guys get rewarded with an open win. It's not weird. They went out and earned it, but it's just it has to be frustrating for Rory that even though he's been a top he was the best player when Jim Furyk was was a top 10 player and the best player when Colin Morikawa was a top 10 player. And that's a wide range of being uh, a top 10 player. And it, it has to be frustrating to not be rewarded with, with an, with a major win in, in eight years. Have you ever wished you could change the results of a golf tournament more than that one? (laughs) I know you have, (laughs) I mean, I know you have not, I should say (laughs) we were texting about, uh, how we need to, we need to just declare that Rory won. I mean, who's gonna, who's gonna stop us. Who's gonna, who's gonna, beat that back now it was it was weird because they weren't playing together i didn't see much of cam on sunday because you you thought okay if rory doesn't win it's probably going to be hovland right they're playing together and you you need to and that's what's sometimes hard about being out there is you just don't know what's going to happen and you end up falling i mean the rory was still the story but you end up falling the person that doesn't win and you know, I, yeah, it was, it's gotta be, I was talking to Solly about this as deflating as it is for Rory to not win Augusta, you at least can say, okay, I have 361 days until the next one yeah, with yeah. the old court with St. Andrews. I mean, you get one more chance and you're going to be almost 40, probably that yeah. had to be, and he's talked Ooh. about that, that that's, that's incredibly deflating. It's like There's, the Olympics, but even yeah, you know, even less often. But it's like when you see someone come it's close, like Messi in the World short, Cup, man. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is like Messi in the World Cup. We'll see what happens. This could turn into a soccer podcast, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that devastation definitely hits that much harder when you realize, like, when you come back. It's a cool thing about the Open at St Andrews. When you come back, every time you are a you're in a different stage of your life, different person. Like it marks the, all these tournaments like mark the time in different ways. And, you know, we talk about that stuff all the time, but that's especially so of, you know, that's a half generation's gone before you come back. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it was pretty 
and I wrote about this in the book extensively, but it was devastating to sort of, because I think Dylan and I were, maybe all three of us were in the presser with Rory as Cam Smith's getting the trophy in the background. And Rory is basically trying to hold it together in this, like on this little stage. And he, I remember he said to me, or I asked him about it. Hey, did you ever think about winning this week? And he said, yeah, I would go out on my hotel balcony every night and my name would be at the top. And I try to envision it there at the end of Sunday. And now tomorrow it's not going to be there. And you're like, man, that is, <laughs> there's some existential stuff in there. But Dylan and I both wrote about, you know, he leaves this presser, gets on a golf cart with his wife and just puts his head in her, or like on her shoulder and just starts crying. And you're like, man, this is, I mean, it's an incredible like scene and thing to write about. And I thought it really fit well with kind of the romance of the old course and just the idea that, you know, the risk of romance is heartbreak. And that's what you get a lot of in golf and especially with Rory over the last eight years. So I, it, as much as it was disappointing for him not to win, it was, it was very golf of him not to win. <laughs> like it was a very <laughs> golf outcome, uh, yeah. what kind of happened. And it didn't, I don't think it made the scene and, and all of that any less compelling. It was just certainly different than if he had won. How many pro golfers on, uh, the elite level would tell the media I've gone onto my balcony every night this week and seen my name atop there and envisioned like there's just maybe one golfer would actually say that to the media <laughs> at maybe like, I think maybe John Rom could say something like that. Um, but he wouldn't be necessarily inclined to. And Rory, I think for the people in the, on this podcast, that's, that's one thing that we really, I really appreciate about him. Um, there is a photo, I don't think I've shared it with you, Kyle, uh, that I snapped on Sunday. Um, it's a selfie of sorts. I'm in it, Shipnuck's in it. Dylan is laughing while looking down at his phone streaming the broadcast because we are on the side of the 17th tee, um, just ahead of the 17th tee and off to the right. And you're in the photo and Bacon's in the background of the photo and... Um, it's just, it's actually a live photo. I'll send it to you, but it's just, I look at that photo often and I laugh because Rory's about to tee off on 17 and hit an absolutely incredible drive. And when he gets to that ball, he's going to hit maybe one of the best approaches of his entire life. Um, knowing that he, knowing that he's losing a little bit of his grip on the open. And unfortunately at that moment, Dylan is streaming on his phone and cam smith has to lay up short of the road hole green short of the bunker and i remember looking and saying aloud i think to jamie weir like okay like cam's gonna make bogey from there like that's just like it's just impossible to do he has to and so rory's like still in the driver's seat and then over the next i guess 10 minutes that followed that photo Rory was not in the driver's seat and he was literally like trying to catch up to the car as Cam Smith raced to the finish. And it, I'll send you the photo. It's just so funny because there's only, I think it's only Bacon and Shipnick that realize I'm taking a photo. And it's one of my favorite photos of many photos taken this summer. The, uh, I mean, that's what's amazing about golf, right? Is because at that moment, you're thinking like Rory's going to make three and Cam's going to make five. And then they both make four and it's over. 
and and there's just so there's so much history and legacy that hangs in the balance of like those three numbers you know that are all in play at the same time and we didn't know cam young was going to make two on 18 uh to to close his round out so yeah that stuff like that i just it's it's pretty amazing i thought it was interesting in that Rory Paul Kimmage interview to hear him talk about how he, he almost feels like he's chasing his first major again, mm-hmm. which I think is probably a, a good thing for him um, because of how, you know, extrinsically motivated. I think he, I think we all believe that he is. And uh, I, I thought that part was interesting. And it does in a lot of ways feel like that. He, I mean, he said the thing that Dylan or one of y'all said, it's like, I'm just a completely different person than I was when I won my last major uh, or even when he was last at St. Andrews. And, uh, mm-hmm. well, I guess it was 2010 cause he didn't play in yeah. 2015. So, uh, by the way, somebody brought up to me how close Rory was to the Rory slam in, in, um, 2010, 2011. So 2010 open, he, f- uh, finished third at St. Andrews. 2010 PGA was whistling straights. He was one shot out of a playoff. 2011 Masters should have won, and then 2011 U.S. Open he he did win. That is pretty crazy. I think that is crazy. I think the St. Andrews in 2010 was the 6380 that he shot. Hell yeah! Oh yeah! Still never shot in the 70s at St. Andrews, right? Yeah. 60s, 80s. I think the only tricky thing about Rory chasing his first major is he has the pressure and expectations of someone that has won four majors so it's in some ways the worst worlds from a a pressure perspective with that said i think he likes being in that position i mean he clearly appreciates the gravity of i think he likes that his actions have gravity i think that i mean we probably all do we all want (laughs) what we do to be important um but you know the fact that rory sat for those Kimmage interviews, there's nothing that I can think of that are that is like those things that exists in sports where yeah, he sits for a you know, I know I know athletes still sit for a long time for interviews for books and stuff, but uh to just sit and sort of take stock over the course of five or six hours with a journalist is uh is pretty remarkable. It is. I was actually talking to him about that because it's, it is very uh, unique in sports. And he said he, he likes that uh, format because it's hard to take anything out of context, right? It's just like, well, here's what I said. And and some, I think some athletes st- like you're quoting them and you're like, you're taking you're, it's out of context. It's like, it's literally what you said, like that. There's no <laughs> way that could be out of context. <laughs> Uh, and, but I, I, I do think for him, it's, uh, it's a good opportunity to, yeah, I, I thought, I think what you said about like his words and his, like what he says, having weight, I think that is, I think that's meaningful to him. Uh, I, I guess, I mean, I, I don't know that for sure, but just the way he kind of talks and, and interacts, I, I think he does care about that stuff. I, I think it's crazy. I was talking about this with somebody. He's a top, whatever, 25, 20, 30 player ever. And he's, he's almost like better at this stuff, like the talking and the, and the, uh, I, I joked that after the tour championship that he, Scotty Scheffler was the player of the year and he was the executive of the year, uh, for the PGA <laughs> tour. But, uh, 
it's it's crazy because Tiger was never like that, right? He he was always he was an obviously a better player than Rory, but he was never that good at all the other stuff. And Rory is, if not as good, maybe better at all the other stuff than he is even at playing, which I think is mm-hmm. is very unique for a for an athlete for a person, but especially for an athlete of his caliber. There is a funny thing about you know, the next fit Rory seems very suited, I guess, is what I'm trying to say to these Kimmage interviews to being in the moment, uh, at the 150th open at St. Andrews, he seems very, uh, in the right place for those events. The tomorrow sports screen league stuff, the, uh, being tiger's partner at the match with this, you know, in a golf cart, it's funny that that is kind of what we're going to get more of because it just seems in many ways like a less natural fit for Rory. What do you think about that, Kyle? Do you think he's do you think he's more almost like a throwback to like the Hogan era in terms of like the way that the media interacts with the way that we interact with him? Is that I mean is that what you're getting at? I think what I'm getting at is like personality wise he's a guy that that thinks a lot about what's important and legacy and um it's it's going to be interesting to see kind of the next phase of guys on the pga tour making a ton of money being like screen golf and trash talk when those aren't necessarily like that's not necessarily an avenue where he would obviously succeed yeah i think i think i think that's right i think that it's more of a jt thing right like his personality uh, and and yeah. I think J, JT is very good at it. I think he's like, although I will say Rory's line about Spieth not being, uh, he's like, I've seen you miss those with a putter at the match was maybe the best line. It was the it was his only good line, but it was yeah, it yeah, was yeah. it was pretty nasty. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're right, and I think it's because I think that what Rory likes to do is almost it's kind of like what we're doing. Like he just wants to like talk about golf. And usually that what that means is that he's talking about himself because that's what he's being asked about. But I think he would just almost as much enjoy doing this where we're talking about Fitzpatrick and live and different, you know, in the open obviously, but I think he would almost as much enjoy that as he would talking about himself. But I think he would definitely enjoy both of those more than the kind of JT more, I would say modern fit for uh, the media world that we're in, which is like the quips and the, and the JT's very, I think JT is actually very good at TV. Like even yeah. not, not just in the match, but when he did the broadcasting for the match, whatever he was excellent match. At the, in that role. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, I was thinking on uh, at the Pelican deal, JT like might be really good at TV whenever he's done playing golf. And uh, I do think Rory is more suited to this. I think you're right. Uh, this is a long way of saying, I think you're right. I think Rory's more suited to this kind of stuff than, than the JT format. All right, we have to move on from Rory. I'm sorry, guys. Do you have any Rory takes? My wife just walked in. None? Nothing? Okay. None? Oh, if it, would, it feels like it would be hard to be married to Kyle Porter and not have a Rory take, but that's just it's my read of the room at this point. That's true. The, the other day, uh, <laughs> one of my friends said, 
Yeah, I read this thing. Like he was like, I can't really remember what it was. I think you were like kind of bashing Rory a little bit, and <laughs> and my wife Jen was like, well, that wasn't Kyle didn't write that because that's, <laughs> that's, <not> <laughs> that's not the way it usually goes down. Uh, uh, so after the open, um, we have what I've written down as the Finau weeks. He nice. I was hoping you were going to get into that. <laughs> we won. He won two events back to back: Minnesota and Detroit. Like, I don't even know what to make of these weeks, but it feels like actually if if Tony Finau has a great three to four years moving forward, those weeks were really important. If he doesn't, then the weeks fade off into oblivion. But like in terms of like a confidence boost, two events while most of the best players in the world were on vacation, like they, he needed them more than maybe any other player in the world. Would you? Would either of you agree with that? Huge, huge stretch for Tony Finau. Not necessarily in the eyes of the world ranking, uh, but yeah, I mean, massive. He jumped from 17 to 13 after winning back-to-back PGA Tour events, which is not very significant. He also has now won the Cadence Bank Houston Open this fall. So this was an example of... Uh, this was the year of like the runner up Scotty Scheffler had never won a PGA tour event was maybe the best player going without a win. He reeled off four big wins, got to world number one, Xander Shoffley, notably absent from 72 hole stroke play PGA tour wins. He won, uh, back to back events and sandwiched in the JP McManus. So yeah, for Finau, this was his answer to like, Hey, remember when you won that playoff event and then we thought you were just going to start winning a bunch and then actually you just started playing worse for some reason. This was the next chapter for Tony. Yeah, I think I think we sometimes overestimate how much confidence good players have. I mean, Rory's actually a good example of that of Sometimes even the bet, the most talented players need a reminder of how good they are, which like, I think to, to fans, that sounds strange, but when you've been around and talked to those guys publicly or privately about it, it starts to like, you, you, you see that their need for that. And I think even the way Finau played in, in the fall, uh, winning, what did he win Houston? Yep. And even the way he was talking, like, uh, he, he he just seemed to carry a different he's always been pretty like swaggy but he carried a different amount of confidence in his status as the as a as one of the best players and that's something that winning buys you that's difficult to obtain anywhere else even if it's quote unquote bad events second tier events and i think that's pretty invaluable for him going into 20 i, I think fina could win like a major and four times yeah. in 2023. No, I don't know if I, he will. I totally agree. Like, I think that confidence you're talking about that, you know, occasionally gets switched on by a victory or back-to-back victories. Like that's what you think about. I think if you're a great player on Saturday at the masters, if you're in the final group, like finishing out that round, making sure you're in the final group again on Sunday, I don't know. Those are the things I think Tony Finau earned this year. Some people earn them really quickly. Some people like Scheffler earned them in a matter of weeks, and then suddenly you do it weeks later at a major. But I want to ask Kyle the question we asked Shane Dylan, which is Scheffler won four events in six weeks or six tournaments, I think. Um, four events in eight weeks. How many players in the world are capable of doing that? Yeah. 
Uh, well, I, some of it is, it depends on what eight weeks, right? Because it's, it, the caliber of tournament matters there. He won about the ones, the ones that Scotty won who could yeah. do what Scotty yeah, did. Not the, the Brendan Todd stretch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm referencing. I think there's probably, I think, I think you could talk me into like 10 guys. Okay. So Shane, Shane said North of 20. Um, it's funny though, awesome. the guy, the, the guy that we were split on was appropriately the number 10 ranked golfer in the world, Victor Hovland, who I said would not be capable as currently constructed of winning four of six events. Yeah. I mean, just off the, t- I'm, I'm not even going to look at the world rankings off the top of my head, Scheffler, Rory, Rom, uh, all capable, uh, Morikawa, I think could. Because you got to you you have to have guys, and this is what this is what Scheffler did. You have to have guys that are consistently elite ball strikers that put up, uh, I don't know, two strokes around in ball striking every round plus two, and then they just get. And this is sort of what happened to Scheffler. He just got hot with his short game for ten weeks, you know. And I think Morikawa is is like the archetype of that player. Like if he gets hot with a short game for 10 weeks, he's going to win four times or whatever, yeah. two or three. That's what the angst over Morikawa at the end of the year from, from him and from other, it was like really weird. He was so frustrated. It was just, it was like very angsty. It was, yeah. it was odd. Uh, so those four guys, uh, I think Xander probably, I mean, he almost did it. He nearly, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know about almost, but yeah. Can't I would have I would have said Bryson can't lay I don't know I guess can't lay might be exactly <laughs> the archetype too <laughs> sneaky yeah he's he's really quality throughout uh Fitzpatrick is kind of in the conversation I would not have said that this time last year at all but he's yeah. I mean his stat I wrote about this in the book. He's improved his data golf strokes gain number each of the last, I think, 11 years, which is. Oh, the, I love that. Like, Aspirational. Can't, that can't happen. And he's, and he's done it. You know, it was started yeah. out pretty bad when he was an amateur and, and into the first year as a pro. But to improve it, I think it was the last 11 years is that's. Wow. That's such a good stat. Uh, that's like Giannis who hit, he like he improved his his uh, point total like eight straight years or something average points that's um, yeah that's crazy <laughs> uh who else uh, am i forgetting in there dj well, can do it yeah the live golfers probably cam i guess it, no yeah cam too is he too errant off the tee to actually yeah do i don't think his i don't think his ball striking is consistent enough yeah zalatoris uh there's a question of whether you think tony finau could do it yeah, I think I don't think it's north of twenty. I, I I'm no, gonna have to call yeah. Shane out for that. That's like Jordan, Tron's Jordan Spieth. Yeah, maybe that's like Tron saying that Morikawa is gonna win eight majors after he won Royal St. George's. I was like, well, maybe he might. He might also like he would be the third best player of all time if he did that. <laughs> Cameron Young put up seven top threes this year without a single win, so yeah, he would kind of be in that like Scotty Scheffler pre twenty twenty two. Mode. Call me when he wins. Who do you, who do you think you're? We were talking about this the other day. Who do you think you, this time next year you're going to think the most differently about from mm-hmm. from how you think about him this year? Well, so Scheffler would be the answer this year. You're saying? 
Sheffield or, or Fitzpatrick. Smith or Fitzpatrick. Oh, interesting. God, yeah, who is that guy next year? Because it's not even necessarily who has the most uh, who has the best season. It's just who has the most disproportionate season to how you think about him right now. If only mm. we knew, Kyle. I mean, Scythe? Mm, maybe. But he, me, he actually already may be getting a, a lot of credit. Give me yeah. Aaron Wise becoming oh an, an actual world beater. A guy? Top yeah. player. That's a good Aaron answer. Wise, Aaron Wise sinking the winning putt for the U.S. Ryder Cup team is a take. Hell wow. yeah. What kind of odds do <laughs> you think you get on that right well, now? I, I don't gonna, know. Because we're going to be up take so much. He's going to be we, first off. We. <laughs> I love it yeah. when you and Solly start doing this. Well, like, I don't know. We, we've we got a great shot to win this year. <laughs> the best is when Solly does it when talking to an actual Ryder Cupper. <laughs> like, oh, are you guys in? Are you in four balls? <laughs> oh, God. That's so good. All right. Let's move forward. A couple more things. Um, I have Tiger flies in to save the PGA Tour. That was my highlight of the entire FedEx Cup. I looked back at the tournaments today. And I was just not that inspired by any of the victories. And yeah. I was more inspired by the 20 man um, the Nissan meeting. car. Yeah. Well, the meeting. And also kind of what, you know, people know what happened in so many words, which is they drew up the plans for how the PGA Tour moves forward and competes with Liv and mostly competes with Liv to keep the best players. Um, who cares about the actual event competitions, I don't think, between the two organizations. But um, what I found to be interesting has been the discourse following that meeting and how players have some players have sounded slightly disgruntled. I just, I think they're Xander has definitely said that he's a little confused at, you know, how all the chips have fallen. I think Ram is confused at all, how the, all the chips have fallen. They have decided, decidedly stuck with the PJ tour through this stuff. But I think there's a lot to be learned from that secret meeting and who's going to uncrack it. You know, who's going to, who's going to solve like who, who wears the pants on the PGA tour? Is it Rory and tiger or is it, is it somebody else that isn't necessarily a player? I'm just still a little confused by that meeting is all I'm saying. What do you mean by who's going to crack it? Like who's going to report on it? A little bit of that. Who's going to like, there was one mole in the room. His name is Joaquin Neiman. He does yeah. not play for the PGA tour anymore. He knows everything that was shared there. His agent therefore knows everything that was shared that day. The whole meeting itself has taken on this like oh yeah we swore in secrecy we won't talk about it um and yeah i that saw, only I think lasts for so long right i think at this point it's like the i think it was important at that moment in time i think now it's like any any recurring meetings i think these guys are kind of like oh man we're doing another one of these things because i think there have been now a series of these meetings yeah and uh, there was a meeting at, that the players were having at the Hero, actually. They went to a meeting on, you know, Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. or something like that. Um, so I think now it's just about, like, continued collaboration and getting everyone on the same page. But to your point, it was a really a seminal moment because that sort of thing just did not exist. Didn't wasn't even close to existing before this year. I guess this idea of the top players all working together 
uh, and being like on the same side, that was not a thing. So I guess in the context of like PGA tour history, it really was the Delaware compromise. (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty significant moment, but I guess the specifics of what went on in there, I don't know if they're, they're that juicy so much as everyone was like, yeah, all right, cool. Do you think that, (laughs) That uh, do you think Rory pays for, to get, uh, beyond the 40 minutes of zoom time, or do you think they have to fit it in, in like 40 minutes? <laughs> oh man. Well, the drop zone took us a while to properly, it took us a couple awkward interviews before we were like, all right, we, we got to figure <laughs> the this best thing out. one was with Rick Riley, where it's like, you know, it's like counting down up top. It's like, well, we've got 60 seconds. Dylan and I haven't mentioned it to Rick. He's going on as he tends to do and on and on and on. I'm like, well, we can't stop him now. Zoom's going to stop him soon. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the screen goes dark. Yeah. And to be clear, like we had it, Golf Magazine as a company does have, you know, we've got the ability to do this, but Sean and I were not like logged into the right thing or. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's too much work. Yeah. <laughs> but now, Kyle, fear not. Here we are yeah. zooming away over the well, hour mark. I think I've got like two more things. One is the President's Cup, and uh, I was at a wedding this weekend. So I was not at the President's Cup at Quail Hollow. Um, so what what one thing did I miss? What two things did I miss that week? What are your what are your like strongest uh hindsight memories from that week that Sean missed in Milwaukee? Yeah, r- uh, real quick on the Delaware thing, uh just to uh kind of touch that off. I think that the players realized okay we have all the power and if if uh, keith mitchell said this at one point it might have been on the no lineup podcast but if jay monahan goes to those guys like hey you got to play 17 times a year <laughs> they would have laughed at him right but when rory says hey we need to play 17 times a year you're like okay i guess that's what we're doing you know and yeah. and and so i don't know if that means that it's like a shadow government situation or what, but I do think that players making those decisions is a lot more me because of the structure of the league or the, of the organization is a lot more meaningful and care and just is the only way it can happen almost. Um, So anyway, that was kind of my only thing on that president's cup. uh, My only two takes, well, I have three takes one. It, it solidified Homa as like a guy for me yeah. uh, not not that he wasn't before but just like hey that dude needs to be on the writer he needs to be in rome even if he doesn't win leading up to rome uh to tom kim introduces himself to the world uh he's going to be like a billionaire by the time he's i mean the, from winning and sponsorship i mean he's just he's just crazy and then three like Ship. yeah he the the president's cup there's all this speaking of angst there's all this angst around the president's cup it's like oh we gotta re you know and and i've i've been part of that at times the president's cup's fine like it's just it's great you know it's match play is weird enough that you can have a fun week even if it's kind of a blowout uh and as long as you get moments like homa and tom kim who can like it doesn't need anything it just let it be it's not the right yeah, the last two president's cups we had we had awesome. this president's cup which was sick and then we had like i think you're right kyle i i definitely was thinking that in the days afterwards even the days prior when trevor immelman was kind of making his media rounds and saying like look guys like we really freaking care about this so don't try to change it while we're getting ready for it um the powers that be 
I think just have to be careful with it. <laughs> like going to Royal Melbourne, freaking awesome. Quill Hollow what, felt like a sidestep. Um, is it what Royal Montreal? I think maybe is the next one. Like, just like make just make sure that like if we're gonna make this a global thing, please bring it to the best places we can bring it. Please make it make it back to Royal Melbourne once every twenty years or as much as you can, um, because. I don't know. You you can lose interest at, from these people at times, and if there was ever a week in which you felt this growing angst, it was obviously that week in September. Um, fight back against that in the ways that the executives can, and then let the golfers roll them out and let them actually be the entertainment. We care a lot about venues and courses and all this stuff. Do you think? Yeah. Players and executives do, or are they well, think, are they are they incentivized to? I think what you're what you're maybe touching on here, Kyle is like quail hollow from a, uh, from a removed kind of golf nerd architectural interest on TV type thing does not necessarily inspire on the ground. That's probably something that came across more there. Like this was the social scene of the American Southeast that week. Like people were there, they were pumped to be there. It was packed. The scene around that lake where a lot of matches are, uh, you know, yeah, like starting 15 to wrap up. Or... Yeah. And it's, I'm get confused because they, well, they changed it from the Yeah, they did routing, change it. But, yeah. Um, that was pretty electric. Like it, it was, it was the place to be, to see and be seen. Um, so from that perspective, I think the tour would consider it a big success venue wise. Yeah. And I think the opposite of Royal Melbourne, right? Like I wasn't there, but as good as it came across on TV, it might not have been great in person. I mean, well, you had Patrick Reed's caddy punching people, so it wasn't great in person. <laughs> Kessler was, but, Kessler was involved. But, but like... Shovel chance. It's not, it must have been somewhat electric in person. I, yeah, that's true. I, I do think sometimes we're very myopic in, okay, well, this didn't fit my... And mm-hmm. I, to be clear, I agree with you, Sean. Like, I, this is not a disagreement, but I think we are myopic in that, like, we think... Okay, the the people in charge of this should only think about pleasing me, right? Or, yeah. or like yeah. where I'm coming from of watching on TV, or if I'm there in person, if I'm there covering it, they should only think about that. Whereas from their perspective, they're trying to think about pleasing 10 different parties, probably more than that, 20 different parties. And I think that yeah. gets a little tricky. All that to say, like, you shouldn't take the president's cup to Quell Hollow. I think it's just a more it's not a, it's not a, it shouldn't be a myopic view, which I don't think you're making it, Sean, but sometimes I think fans think of it like that. Yeah. I think that's fair. Jordan Spieth also memorable president's cupper this year. Uh, and <laughs> holding, then holding his child up. Yeah, that's right. Lion King style. The Canadians, uh, will hopefully do better. Jeez. Tracking was- Corey Connor's short game was, um sort of upsetting that we that was that was a tough tough scene uh spieth spieth and jt were i mean i think did you tweet out the the crossing the potomac uh, oh yeah picture <laughs> that was with xander i think yeah that's right because he was uh, on the cart. cart yeah 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 <laughs> but spieth and jt are just you know i i think they're yeah, they, they, I mean, they're over, um, they're overexposed as like a entity, but they're almost under, 
yeah, they're almost underrated as a as a as performer. A I mean, especially been, after the match too. I mean, sheesh. I, and they they kind of start like feeling themselves with each other, and it's. Yes. Uh, I Actually, joke. Can that, we? Oh, I was gonna say I joke that Tiger was gonna leave Spieth off the Beth Page team as the captain because of what Spieth did to him at the match. He's just <laughs> ruthless. Uh, but yeah, that was, they're a ton of fun together. That that uh, cart with the four of them, where it was. Uh, JT Spieth, Cantlay, Xander. It's a good reminder that we are in the age of like the PGA Tour bromance. Like mm-hmm. I know DJ and Kepka maybe aren't what they once were. Uh, they're also not on the PGA Tour anymore. We've got, uh, I mean, Xander and Cantlay is an obvious one. JT and Spieth is an obvious one. Tiger and Rory is the one that you know mm. maybe people didn't necessarily see coming. Uh, low key would be Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns. They're going yeah. on vacation together. Uh, kind of an interesting phenomenon that has sort of cropped up here. Is these dudes well, pair off, and maybe that's ha- a consequence of like teams. But Victor Hovland seems like he could. There's it's like open bromance, like could be yeah. anybody. <laughs> could, he's, you know, he's interested, he's interesting, and available. He's, yeah, and available. <laughs> Yeah, I think what's interesting about that, Dylan, is just it's just the biggest names like the PGA Tour itself is a, is littered with bromance. Um, it's just that the biggest names are accepting it now. And it directly follows the era in which Tiger just about hated everybody. Um, and and so there was there was no bromance between Phil and Tiger or Phil and Ernie or Phil and VJ Tiger and all these guys. And um, yeah, I guess it's cool to see. Uh, trying to wrap up. I just I look at my notes and I see the live finale. We've really covered live a lot. I have like, a question. I want to ask Kyle what we asked Shane, which is Kyle, who do you think the PGA Tour misses the most? I think it's probably, and there's a reason for this. I think it's probably Cam Smith, and and I think it's because just in the short term, he's the he's the players champion, and so you've got all this awkwardness of well we're going to run the 2021 commercials for the 2023 players because we can't run it's just i so i think that in the short term i actually think the real answer it not from a pga tour organization standpoint but just from golf as a whole is is bryson i mean he he in the book i called him the high king of content uh, because he is he can't he cannot stop generating content unintentional <laughs> intentional it, everything he does is 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 yeah is worthy of and and, it, and part of it is because he's good enough for what he does to matter i mean if cameron Tringali was doing some of the stuff he does it's like okay whatever dude but bryson is like potentially generationally good and so what he does matters and people and then it just people have bryson it, takes everyone yeah got one and it's this circular thing of like, he can't stop creating it and people feed it to him and he can't stop. I mean, it, it's just, it's incredible. And I'm going to, I'm probably going to miss covering him maybe more than anybody else that left. It's I funny. He seems fair. like he's leaned into it more, but maybe but one of the reasons that so. he, yeah. And maybe one of the reasons that he actually was not loving life on the PGA tour and was open to something like this is because he sort of got stuck on this content carousel and didn't know how to get off because like you said, it it was self-reinforcing whenever he would 
talk to the media. It would sort of start a new thing. And then he would get asked about that thing and he would start a new thing. And it was like, I can't get out of this. Um, he stopped talking to the media for a while. I think honestly, one of the very kind of Gen Z things that happened this year was Bryson leaned into being a YouTube content creator, which is a place to get a lot of positive reinforcement. I would say you lean into your following. Uh, you recognize that there's a lot of people that really like you a lot. I don't know. That's a, it's interesting answer though, Bryson. And it's interesting also that you can look at like five different guys and say, oh, yeah, cause I said DJ Shane said, bacon Phil. said Phil, I kind of copped out, but I said Brooks was really underrated how much he's missed as a potential mm-hmm. like PGA tour spokesman. Mm-hmm. And then you give us cam and Bryson. Uh, yeah. Those are the five. Kyle, what's your I, shot of the year? Uh, well, I have a, I have a weird one because I don't think anybody remembers it, but it was the one that I'll remember the m- most. And it wasn't even the best shot that this guy hit on that day, but Justin Thomas's second shot into 18, on in the fourth round on Sunday, he hit it to, it doesn't on TV. It doesn't look, I mean, it's a good shot, but it doesn't look amazing. He hit it to probably 10 feet and missed the putt that would have, it would have won the PGA in regulation as Mito got struck by lightning behind him. (laughs) And, uh, it would, but in the moment it with, with how much was, was resting on that shot, how he just like, basically ran like he just stared it down he walked after it like the whole thing was like man this is a guy who wants the ball with 10 seconds left and you know the game's tied or you're down one like he wants the ball and that's not i mean you guys know like that's not true of everybody uh there's a lot of guys that we could point to that it's not true of the best shot he hit that day was probably the 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 i think it was a three wood into 17 where he drove the green Mm -hmm. uh made three and basically iced Zalatoris in the playoff. But for me, the one that stands out is the second. I, I don't, I can't, it was five iron or something like that into 18 in regulation that was just unbelievable. Were you out there when Rory holed out on Saturday at St. Andrews on the 10th hole? What do you think? <laughs> that was a dumb question. I think <laughs> I saw you out there now that I remember it. Um, that was for me, like there are. I really think I can count on one hand the number of times that a golf shot in person has given me goosebumps. Yeah. Um, and Dylan's probably heard me say this four or five times, but I, I think two of them are both speed at Augusta um, in years in which he didn't win. Um, mm. But that I added one to the list this year when I was out there when Rory holed out because the, the fans in the grandstand on 11 T yeah. which is very close to 10 green um lost their absolutely freaking minds yeah and rightfully so and it, it is at the far part of the property in which you have to work really hard to go watch golf out there and yeah it's it really jumbled and so fans are just on top of each other and because of how the course like you know loops around you get stuck and the gallery ropes like catch you and you know the the ushers are not allowing people to move through so you're just like people got stuck there and mm-hmm. they were treated to this like insane moment. Dustin and, and uh, Scotty Scheffler on the 11th tee, like they were just laughing at it because of people like were there. 
I almost thought people were going to run onto the 10th green. A couple <laughs> people like ducked under the ropes like to us? get closer. <laughs> yeah. I was first looking for you, um, <laughs> but it was just, you know, I was inside the ropes and I ended up just like running into people because they were ducking under the ropes a little bit. And I was like, holy cow, this is well, just that, Saturday. Yeah. That was the first moment of the week where, because he, I don't know, you, you can sort of, Scheffler leads the Masters by five on Friday night. And you're like, oh, he's probably going to win. But it yeah. doesn't get really real at a major until like that time of the week, Saturday afternoon-ish, where you're like, okay, it's probably only going to be one of these however many guys, four guys, seven guys. Cast of characters at that point. Yeah. And so that was the first moment where it was like, oh, Rory's either and this happened with phil at the pga at kiowa like rory's either going to win or or this is not this is going to be bad right like this is going to be heartbreaking and that's what it those were the options at that point i think and that's kind of what it turned out and that was the first time where it really felt like that because he was playing well but then you he does that and you're like oh this is he's the story for the rest of the oh. weekend <laughs> How and many then, times have you had to rip open that Band-Aid in making your book? Well, I gave Joel Beal all the chapters about Rory, so I didn't have to relive it. Uh, but I did write a like a seven-page appendix just about his year and uh, kind of the way he handled everything. And I compared it to Federer. I just went completely over the top, just lost my mind. So hopefully people enjoy that. <laughs> Stay tuned for the appendices. Exactly. Sean, you satisfied? I'm satisfied, Kyle. We've taken too much of your time, uh, but thank you. And tell people where they can buy your book. Yeah, anormalsport.com. Uh, we actually sold out of hardcovers. We've got digital digital copies left. Uh, Bacon on the audio. So if you enjoyed his voice on this podcast, you'll enjoy it on the audio book. And yeah, it was a ton of fun to write. I have got to give a shout out to to my well, shout it out Beal, but. Y'all's girl, Claire Rogers, she worked Ooh. on it. Uh, we had DJ Pihowski contributed a chapter. Jason Page did the illustrations. It was it was a ton of fun to put together to work with, you know, a team of people that not only I whose work I respect, but just that uh, I enjoy. Like we, the, the thing was like we try to make each other laugh. Like Porath edited it. Beal helped out with that. And I would just try to write things that made Porath laugh. And he had to take some of them out because he was trying to protect me. But uh, it was just a ton of fun to work with with all those people on this book. Would you say you went from uh, kind of a, an individual endeavor, every man for himself last year to kind of a new team <laughs> format this year? That's that's one way you could say it. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for that. Sounds that sounds really rewarding, Kyle. And thanks for that. I think that's a good way to more time way to with finish. his family. You know. <laughs> uh, thanks, oh, Kyle. Man. Though I appreciate it, man. This was fun. Uh, yeah, anytime, guys. I always enjoy it. All right. Thanks so much to Kyle Porter for coming on. Thanks so much also to Shane Bacon for coming on yesterday's podcast. That was part one of our year in review. If you want to go back and listen, um, thanks most of all to you guys. It's the holidays where we think about all the things we're grateful for, and we are very grateful for you, the listeners, the zonies who keep coming back week after week. Um, we're going to see you in 2023. We might not see you before then, but when we do next come through your headphones, I guess, we're going to be even better than ever. Thanks also to Connor Federico, who has been tirelessly editing 
nearly every single drop zone that lands in your podcast inbox. And now I'm just rambling. So I will say have a great holiday season. We'll see you next year in Hawaii. It's going to be awesome. If you need to leave a present, a five-star review is more than enough. We love you guys. See you soon.